So Officer Peter Stangwich uh, thought he was just uh, the unluckiest guy in the world. He said, I've bought lottery tickets, I've bought raffle tickets, I've never won anything. They said, reflecting on it now, I realized I wasn't unlucky, I was just saving all my luck up for one moment that I really needed it. So his dashboard cam on his cruiser caught the moment that he used all of his luck in one moment. Watch this. Is anybody else's heart racing right now? And his dashboard cam had a microphone on. He didn't say a word. Like, that's utter coolness right there, to be able to have that much. But have you ever had that adrenaline spike when, you know, you're, you're in your car and you're behind somebody and they're starting to back out and you can't find the horn, right? Have you ever been babysitting a kid or maybe it was your own child who is sprinting for the street and you see a car coming and that feeling of terror you have, you can't get to that child quick enough? You know, that feeling of just that adrenaline and that panic? No? You guys have had a market, markedly different life than I have. Uh, I want you to, because I know you have felt something where you've just felt that spike of adrenaline, I want you to feel that intensity right now as we go to Galatians, because we're going to look at some words that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in the Galatian church, and I think he felt that intensity that a parent feels when you see your one and only child or your beloved child running into the street. And think, oh my gosh. And as I read these words, I want you to keep this filter in mind. Paul loved these people. He was the one who shared the gospel with them. He was the one who led them to Jesus. He said nine different times to them, you are my dear brothers and sisters. And yet listen to these words that he said to them throughout Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? Chapter 3, verse 3. How foolish can you be? Chapter 4, verse 11, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Chapter 4, verse 19, oh, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Chapter 5, verse 7, you were running the race so well. Who held you back from following the truth? I don't know if you, if you hear these words and you think, Paul sounds angry. He just sounds mad. This is parent watching your child running into the street angry. And your kid probably thought that you were angry at them too. But it's like you're so, so scared of what could have happened. Like that car nearly killed you and now I'm going to kill you. And Paul feels that same intensity about his friends. They're more than just in danger of losing their life. They're in danger of, for all of eternity of losing their faith in God. There's so much at stake here. And we're going to be studying this because it doesn't just matter 2,000 years ago. This isn't just something that somebody experienced and Paul wrote a letter and it's all done. We're at risk of the same thing today. We're starting this new series. We're going to be studying through Galatians for six weeks. Uh, we called it the, it's kind of like a contrarian's guide, how to destroy your faith in six easy steps. And I really don't want you to destroy your faith. It's really taking that and flipping it to the positive. What do we need to do to affirm and nourish and maintain and grow our faith so that it flourishes in our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus? Uh, so I want us to, as we go through Galatians, this is going to be a little bit more study-oriented message series. So I'd like you to go ahead and just plan on bringing a pen with you every week. Grab the worship folder if you're a person who likes to take notes so you remember things. 
Uh, I know that the Bible app on the phone is great. I highly encourage that. This is one of those times if you had an analog version of the Bible, this would be helpful. You can just lay it out and you can underline things and you can circle things and point to other things. It's okay to write in the Bible. It's a tool. So just use it for that. Bring it. Let's go ahead and um, to start this series off, let's just start where Paul did right at the beginning. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. This will be on the screen. But again, it's just really good for you if you can read it out of your own Bible. Now, your version in English might be a little bit different than mine. That's okay. I think we'll all still get the gist of this. Let me just read it, and you can follow along. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to you, the churches of Galatia. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our Father, planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And now here comes the hard stuff. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I'm going to say this again. We have said it before. If anyone any, preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Strong, you can't get stronger than this. And he says, look, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I know this is a lot to work through, and we're going to work through it. And you can do this because you are smart people, and you're here, or you're watching online. And welcome to all of you who are watching online. I hope you'll grab a Bible too and follow along here. And uh, this is going to be a great experience as we study and we realize that God has a message for all of us today. And it will make you healthier and stronger if you lean into what he's saying here. And we realize, first of all, as we consider this, it's helpful to remember what was first happening. I know it's uh, just a few pages in your Bible now. It's part of a book, but this was originally a letter. You got that right up from the beginning when Paul says, look, I'm writing this letter. I've got some Christians here with me. We love you. We're sending this letter to you because we're concerned for you. You know, my, my heart for you as a pastor doesn't go away just because I'm not with you any longer. So I'm going to write this letter because I'm hearing some things that I don't like. And Paul, right off the bat, he reminds them of where he gets his spiritual authority from. Like, who are you, Paul, to tell us here in Galatia, which is, if you're trying to think, where is that? That's modern-day Turkey. So who are you, Paul, to tell us what to do? You're not here anymore. Well, Paul tells us where he gets his authority. And this is a good question, because, again, uh, have you ever, any oldest kids here? You ever left in charge of your little siblings? So I'm assuming the rest of you, just raise your hand if you were not the oldest. Were you always, did you always obey your big brother or sister whenever you were you know, under their care? Like, this was the most frustrating thing. I was an oldest as well. My mom would leave me in charge of my brother and sister, but they're not going to listen to me. Like, I tell them to do something, and why? Why should I do it? You tell me what to do. Why? You're not going to tell me what to do. Well, you should do that. Why? Mom said, oh, Okay, so it's not me anymore, it's mom through me. And so that's what Paul's saying here. Look, if you're questioning my authority, you're like, why are you telling me what to do? Why are you telling me that I'm you know, needing to pay attention to this? Well, Paul says, here's my authority. It doesn't come from me. I didn't go to some online school and say, hey, be an apostle with $25 and just fill this form out and we'll send you a certificate. Paul said, no, my authority comes directly from Jesus Christ himself. 
Peter, James, John, the other apostles, they didn't come to me and say, hey, we got a, a, an opening. You know, Judas hung himself. We need somebody. Hey, why don't you join it? It didn't come from the other apostles. I didn't just see this and think it was a good thing to jump into. Jesus Christ himself came to me and said, I want you to be my apostle. I want you to be my witness. I want you to be the one who spreads my word around. So that's where his authority. Usually the Galatians could say, well, Paul, who are you to tell us what to do? Uh, who gave you the authority? Who made you boss? He's, Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, that changes things. Like over in verse 11 and 12, Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human understanding, reasoning. I didn't just make this up. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So uh, as you hear these words, I know it was written 2,000 years ago, and there's a lot to, you know, in that span of time that could have happened. This is literally, though, from the mouth of Jesus to the ears of Paul to you. You ever played telephone, you know, the game where there's a line of people and somebody whispers into somebody else's ear and they whisper into somebody else's ear and then by the time it gets down to here, the message has no uh, correlation to what was said down here. You don't have a telephone game here. Straight from God to Paul to you. This is Jesus talking to you and I today. There's some things here that he wants us to know as well. This didn't get muddied in the translation. It's straight from God to you. And this is very important. God wants you to hear this today. You can write this down. There is one and only one good news. There is one and only one gospel. And so when I say good news and gospel, I'm using them interchangeably because it's the same thing. Your Bible translation might say good news, capital G, capital N. It might say gospel. Those are the same things. Uh, and it's translating a Greek word. It just means good news. You've got some good news to tell people, and that's the gospel. And then Paul says there's only one. He uh, was really clear. Ginger talked about this in her communion talk just a moment ago so well. And Paul describes it here in verse 4. Here is the gospel. Very simply put, Jesus gave his life for our sins. You say, well, what's the good news? Jesus gave his life for my sins. Paul wrote another letter that kind of amplifies on this. I'll just go ahead and take you over there. If you don't have to turn over to it, if you don't want, if you, uh, if, if you want to find it and you can, great. I'll just read it for you. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said this. Let me now remind you, these are the Christians in the church in Corinth and Greece. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. I mean, you welcomed it then when I preached it, and you still stand firm in it. This is the good news. This is the gospel that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And the way he says it, it's like, of course it's true. So now he's going to tell us what the gospel is. He's telling the Corinthians, I passed unto you what was the most important and what's also been passed unto me. Christ died for our sins, just as scripture said. That's the same as in Galatians. Paul adds here, he was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scripture said. And then in verse five, he was seen by people. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by 500 people at one time in one group together. If anybody asks you, what's the good news? What's the gospel? You don't have to make this up. The scripture tells you. The good news is Jesus died for my sins. He was buried, just like Scripture said he would be. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he appeared to a whole lot of people. So it's not like, you just have to take my word on it, he rose. No, he showed up to a lot of people who said, I saw him dead on Friday, I saw him alive on Sunday. It's not a big secret. It was a thing that happened. Paul wrote another letter over to the Roman church. Uh, he hadn't been to Italy yet, but he really wanted to get there, and so he wrote a letter to all the Christians there, said, I'm coming, I want you to be ready, but in the meantime, here's what I believe about Jesus. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of this good news gospel about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. 
Jews first and then also Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it's by faith a righteous person has life. So we're talking about the gospel, the good news. There it is right there. If there's a test next week and I ask what the gospel is, you're going to tell me Jesus died, he was buried, he rose, and he appeared to a whole lot of people. There you go. However you want to answer that, I will accept all answers on that. Here's the thing. We talk about this good news. It's almost like, and here's what the Galatians were running up against. It's almost like it's too good to be true news. I want you just for a moment to think about what the gospel really means. If Jesus forgives your sins, did he have to ask you what your sins were first before he said he would forgive them? Did he look at you and go, I'm going to forgive, but there's a little asterisk because some of you, and you know who you are, you've got some sins that I just can't forgive. So I'm sorry for you, but good news for most of you, the rest of you, no. Jesus died for anyone's sins, everyone's sins. There is no one who is disqualified from coming to Jesus in faith and being saved. And we can look at that and we can go, well, that's great, but nothing else in the world works like that. Well, yeah, the world is broken. But God is gracious, and he is good, and he died for our sins. And he not only promises to forgive your sins, he says, I want to adopt you into my family. Jesus says, I'm willing to call you brothers and sisters. God says, I'm willing to be your dad. I'm willing to be your father. And more than that, I'm promising you an eternity of of life. Life like you've never experienced it before. That's the good news. Back in 2018, Chase Bank decided to get out of the credit card business up in Canada. So what they did is they just sent out a notice to everybody who had a credit card there. Uh, we're, we're not going to honor your card anymore, so it's not going to work when you go to the store, but you still have to pay off your balance. So, okay, we're done. Canada doesn't have Chase credit cards anymore. Somebody in 2019 and Chase said, we're tired of dealing with this. So what they decided to do was they just canceled the debt on all of those credit cards that they'd already closed. Can you imagine what it would feel like to get a note, an email, a letter one day and just said, yeah, that credit card balance you got, eh, don't worry about it. That happened to people in Canada. It's like, why didn't I have a Canadian Chase credit card and rack that thing up? But, and so one guy uh, said this, uh, Doug, he was from Ontario. He said, I was, like, he had $4,500 of credit still left on there to pay off. He said, I was sort of over the moon all last night with a smile on my face. I couldn't believe it. If you are a Christian, Do you remember that moment when you accepted Christ and you realized, this is legit. My sins are gone. Were you over the moon? Has that feeling faded? Maybe you need to recapture it again. There is one and only one good news gospel, and it's true, and it's real, and it's yours, and it can change your life, and you can change your reality. That's actually the next thing I wanted to show you that Paul shows us. The good news gospel changes people's lives, and that's how you know it's legit. Because when people embrace the gospel, they change. Paul says, look, I'm a perfect example of what the good news of Jesus does for people. In Galatians 1.13, just go ahead and look at this. He says there, you know what I was like, because he must have told the Galatians, he said, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. I go over to uh, 1 Timothy. Paul was talking to a young pastor that he had mentored, and he told Timothy the same thing. Uh, he says, I'll just go back to verse 12. He says, I thank God, uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy. He appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me. In the NIV, it actually says, I was a violent man. Paul was not a good person, and yet Jesus said, look, it's not about you. 
but I see something in you that I want, and I'm, despite all the horrible things you've done to me and my followers, I'm still going to call you to be my apostle. What wonderful mercy. And God changed Paul. He went from a violent, hard man who chased down Christians and persecuted them to a man who preached Jesus and showed love. Paul reminds the Galatians, same thing. You guys know what you used to be before I came and told you about Jesus. Look at, uh, oh, let's see here, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Paul said, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that didn't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back to that again? It's a good question. If God changed you, why would you want to? And here's the proof that the gospel is actually in your life, and you need to think about this. What were you like before you met Jesus, and what are you like now? I guarantee you, even if you feel on your most discouraged days, you can see some things that God has changed in you. You're different. You're growing. You know, maybe you have a story, and you need to think about it more, just if no other reason than to give God glory and honor and thanks for all that he saved you from. Some of you, you, you might have a story that's as yucky as what you snake out of the drain in the bathtub. Like, ooh, I don't even want to tell this story, but, but it's true. And it's honest and it's authentic. If that's your story, if God's changed you and saved you from that, you should tell it. And some of us, though, or some of you, maybe get a little jealous, like, I don't have a story like that. I wish I did. I didn't do anything really bad. I just grew up in church. I mean, I did bad things, but I wasn't like, I wish I had. No. Whatever your story is, just be honest and own it. Because even if you grew up in church, Jesus has saved you from so much. And he's changing you. And if God ever showed us on day one how much needed to change in our lives, we just give up. But he's changing you, and that's how you know God's at work in your life. And I wish that I could just stop right there, because this is so amazing. Would this be a great message if you just go, yeah, God's news is good news. It's for anyone. It changes your life. We've all been changed. Thank you so much. We'll just go home now. But that's not where Paul stops, because there's a danger here, and the danger is that you could be fooled into swapping the one true gospel for a false gospel. That's exactly what was happening to the Galatians. He says in verse 6 and 7, you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news. It's not. It's, uh, you're being fooled by those who are deliberately twisting the truth concerning Christ. So I don't know if you saw this. There's an incredible scene a few years ago. College softball, girls softball. A girl named Bethany hit a home run. The ball went over the fence, and yet she was tagged out. How is that even possible? So she hit the ball over the fence. She came around third base. Her, her team was there waiting to celebrate with her. And she came in, and the whole group was around her. And she jumped to stomp on home plate, but she missed it. She did not actually tag home plate. She didn't realize that she hadn't, but the other team did. So here's the rule. There's two different rules who, that come into play here. Number one, when you hit a ball out of the park, that ball is dead. So the umpire gave the pitcher a new ball. That ball is live. Now, here comes the second rule. If a runner has not tagged all the bases, you can appeal to the umpire, and you can tag the runner out until such time as they get back to the base that they missed. So at this point, Bethany starts to realize, and her team starts to realize, you must have missed home plate because they're coming for you. She starts sprinting towards home plate to tag it, but they got her before she got there. She had a home run. It should have been 3-3 tied up in the third inning, but it wasn't. How do you have a home run and lose it? And I think Paul's saying the same thing. How do you have salvation? Once in eternity, there is something that is so good that it's too good to be true, and you had it, and you're about to walk away from it. What are you doing? No wonder he's so scared, because there are people there trying to tell him, well, it's not what you think. 
So how can people walk away from the good news? I think people do this in one way because there's just something in us that wants to believe bad news. And so when somebody says to you, you can be forgiven, no strings attached, somebody else comes along and says, that's not exactly true. And you go, there's just something in you goes, I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. I knew there had to be an exception somewhere. And when this person wants to tell you, okay, it's that mostly. Paul was pretty much right, but that whole Old Testament still matters. So you really need to start going back and doing some of those other things as well. And they start eating that up because there's something in us that just loves bad news. If you don't believe me, why do cable news channels exist? Why are they a thing? It shouldn't be. It's like biting into a lemon wedge. Oh, that's awful. Give me another one. Yeah. Why would you do that? If people don't love bad news, why does NASCAR exist? <laughs> I don't mean that in the way you think. I like NASCAR. I think it's great. <laughs> why do people go to NASCAR events? Exactly. Wrecks. They don't go out there because they like to turn red in the sun and they don't like watching somebody turn 42,000 times left, you know, going around a track. I've been privileged to go to NASCAR races at Bristol Motor Speedway several times. It's a short track, half mile. You put 40 cars on that track. Somebody's described it like flying fighter jets in a gymnasium. It's a tight track and accidents happen. There's an example right there. It, and that's what people love. We don't want anybody to get hurt, but we love a good wreck. It's just something, we're messed up people. And good news isn't always well received. It just feels like it can't be authentic. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. So when somebody comes along and says, yeah, you gotta work for it, which is completely contrary to the gospel, there's just a part of us that goes, yeah, that's what I thought. I knew it. Pastor Drew Sherman says he had a family come to him early on in his ministry down in Texas, and they said, you know, we're leaving. And as I was listening to Drew tell that story, at first I was thinking, well, kudos to that family. At least they went and they talked to him and they, you know, they didn't just ghost the church. But then as they continued to talk and as Drew's told the story, I realized, no, they only scheduled that meeting to get one final parting shot in. They said, well, we're leaving. I know we've been here a long time, but we just don't think this is the church that it used to be since you've come. This has become the feel-good church. What's wrong with that? I, I think I know what they meant by it, but do, do they want the church to be the feel-bad church? What is wrong with us that can't just accept that the gospel is good news for anyone and everyone? Believe me, I know that Jesus says hard things to us. I've said hard things to you. Uh, that's a thing. There are things in our lives that need to change, and we need to tell the hard truth to each other. But there's an overall envelope here of grace and kindness and mercy and God has been so gentle with us Romans says that it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance what is it about us that just craves the bad all the time connection we tell the whole truth here you know I think about this a friend of mine preached in a small church and he would tell me Brian I don't know what's wrong with the people in my church I will preach a barn burner I will just stomp all over their toes. I will just really call things out that need to be called out. And they will come out and they will shake my hand. They will, they will brag on me to people. They will say, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. You really got in my business today. You really stomped on my toes. That was just great. You need to preach like that more often. And he says, there'll be other times when I just preach the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ and how much he loves us. And it's like it goes in one of their ears and out the other. And it's like little grace dust bunnies underneath the pews and the chairs in my church. They just don't hear a word of it. What is wrong with us? Are we in danger of doing what the Galatians were to walk away from the one true gospel that's been given to us? 
to say, well, you know what? I think that it's a gift, but I better work for it just in case. I better make sure I get to church every Sunday. I better be reading my Bible. I better just make sure I check all the boxes and then if anything else that I can do to add to it. And if I don't, I'll feel guilty. And maybe that'll count for something. I don't know. Look, there's a lot in the Bible that tells us where we need to change. And I'm willing to teach it to you, and I do. But there's a lot in the Bible that just tells us there's a lot of hope and that God is with us and he will help us change and he will help us grow. Look, we tell the whole truth here. We do. But part of the good news is that there is good news that our sin made us an enemy of God, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that God is willing to look past our bad behavior long enough to reach out to us so that he can transform us. God rescues us. Jesus gave his life for us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and within us to change us. It's such good news, and our world desperately needs that. So hold on to that. Your connection, I just need to share with you one last challenge with this, though. Hey, hold out the good news. Connection should be a good news church. You have good news, and it's not meant to be kept to yourself. If you are a greeter here, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being so welcoming to people. And when I bring friends and you bring friends, we know that they're going to be welcome. If you are an usher, if you are somebody in hospitality, you've got good news. Look like it. Share it. Be that warm, caring church that I know you are. Because this is the, somebody's coming here for the first time, and they don't know if they're going to find a place to belong here. They don't know if they're going to be welcomed here. They don't even know if they should be here. They're not sure if the ceiling's going to fall down on them when they come in here. It's not like that at all, but you don't know what people carry in with them when they come in here. They need to know the good news, and it starts with you. Share the good news. Hey, I love what our worship team did today leading us in worship. That was great. They're helping us remember the good news. Some of you were getting ready to go serve in our children's ministry, and that's great. Share good news with the children. Share it with the parents when they pick their kids up. You're in the nursery. Hey, good news. Your little one made a stinky. You didn't have to change it. There you go. Good news right there for you. Look, this is real. This is authentic. God is doing and has done amazing things in my life and in your life. Many of you can say you've got a story and stories of what he's doing. You should be sharing that. You should be telling other people so that they can have the same hope that you have. Some of you, you're sitting here today and maybe as I'm talking, you don't have a faith with Jesus. You don't have anything with God, but you could. Maybe you should start imagining what that would be like if God's good news came into your life and you responded to that. Look, I can't change you. I can't transform you. As much as I love you, I can't give you purpose and meaning in life. But Jesus can do all of those things for you, and that's why we always point you to him. You should be looking to him. Maybe your story could be like Paul's story. I go over to Galatians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, After I became a Christian, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And the, still the churches in Christ that are in Judea down in Israel didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Who is praising God because of you? Who's praising God because of the story that God has done in your life? And maybe for you today, God wants to start a story in you that you can be telling other people a year from now, and you can say it all started a connection on this day. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Um, we're going to sing another song here before we close the service out, and I want you to be having a conversation with God in your heart about what he wants you to do next. And I want you to respond to the gospel if you need to. So this is Jim Browse. He's one of our elders. And if this is something you would like to talk with someone about, you are free to come on over and talk to Jim through this next song. Nobody will look at you weird. 
Uh, if you just want somebody to pray with you through the end of the service, you can come on over. I'll be over there after the service as well. I don't want you to leave here without doing whatever it is that God's put on your heart to do with this. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the power that you have brought into our world through Jesus and the love that you have brought, that you have brought salvation. And it's nothing that we did. It's nothing that we earned. It's nothing that we could have ever accomplished on our own. It's simply you because you're so gracious to us. Please help us to embrace that. Help us to live in it. Help us to share it. Let connection just be a place where people's lives are truly changed because you are here. And I ask this in Jesus' name.